Portico. If you're new, if you're visiting with us, my name is Rick and I'm the campus pastor here. We're glad you made it out through the monsoons earlier on this morning and, and uh, you made it here. Some of us, when we were setting up, Bob had a nice big black umbrella to make sure we were safe. I told him they made a movie about some person with a big black umbrella one time. Make sure you don't, don't fly away. We're glad you're here. Glad you joined us. And we're in the midst of a series called The Journey. What is the level of temptation that you can withstand without breaking down and doing the wrong thing? What, what is the thing that just kind of grabs you and like you feel like, ah, I can't, I can't bear it anymore. I'm going to give in. And I'm just going to do the wrong thing. If, 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 you're, if someone in your family baked brownies and there was company coming tomorrow... But tonight, there was warm chocolate fudge brownies on the kitchen table. Can you withstand the smell of those brownies? And no, yeah, most people are like, no, those brownies are getting eaten. You shouldn't have baked them today. They're gone. <laughs> what about when the cashier gives you, you've, they're supposed to give you back a $5 bill, but they make a mistake and they give you back a $20 bill, or they give you back an extra 20 When you're walking by, you're thinking, oh. Too bad you gave me too much extra. Is the money the thing that gets you in temptation? Well, you know what? For all of us, there are areas where we're stronger and areas where we're weak. And this morning, we're going to have a little temptation exercise. I've got one of my friends with me, one of my, one of my good buddies. He's all dressed up for church, and he wanted to show his level of uh, ability to withstand temptation. Come here, bud. Come here, bud. Here you are. So his name's Carlo. And if you, don't like, if you don't like puppies, he's a, he, he got dressed up this morning to show his level, of, his level of ability to withstand temptation. So we have in the bag over there, Amanda. We're going we're to show him one thing and see if, if he can manage temptation withstanding. We've got the little thing first. What's that we got there? Oh, it's a milk bone. Oh, wow. We've got a milk bone. So let's see, let's see if, if the Jack Russell... No, you, you stay on one side. And let's see if the Jack Russell can withstand, uh, not with the guitar there. You sit, you sit, stay. Remember, he's a Jack Russell. This is, this is not an easy thing. Oh, he did it. Can we go ahead for the little buddy? Okay, now, now I don't know if this is a level of, uh, of uh, temptation for you that you can withstand or, or, or that you can give in. Oh, can you, can you get the... But, the? but the peanut butter, Carlo, what do we have here? We have peanut butter, bud. Peanut butter is not an area of strength for most people or dogs. And what if we show him... What if we show them that we've got a spoonful of peanut butter? <laughs> Can we give a hand for Carla there this morning? We we know we know that uh, we know that for. For all of us, we have areas of strength, we have areas of weakness, and for him, he is not sitting and staying when there's, when there's peanut butter. Look, he's, he's not even going to pay attention, he's just going to follow that, that stick of, of, of peanut butter all the way downstairs. He can't do it. The peanut butter's there, 
He knows how to sit. He knows how to stay. But when the peanut butter comes out, it's all off. It's gone. And like, he could sit for a leg of chicken. He, but peanut butter, uh-uh. That dog is gone. And we're in the series on the journey, ordinary people who are on this quest of faith. And we're going to start right back at the beginning of the Bible with Adam and Eve. And these are two people that were tempted and ended up giving in. So if you want to read along with us and you don't have a copy of the Bible, just slip your hand up real quickly. And Derek will make sure you get a copy of the Bible to borrow this morning. And if you do have your Bibles, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3. And we're not going to put the words on the screen because it's I think all of Genesis chapter 3 we are, we are reading here this morning. And it's the uh, first, first book of the Bible, first three chapters. And uh, if, you, if you do need to, just let us know and we'll make sure you can borrow that. You can follow along uh, in, the, in your notes in the bulletin as well on your version. If you have the, uh, the Bible app, you can follow the notes there on your device or uh, on your uh, tablet or on your phone. So here we go, Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, ordinary people who are on their own quest of faith. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, No, we we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then both of them were open and the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? You've eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me fruit from the tree and I hate it. (laughs) She did it. The Lord said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly. You'll eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and he will strike his heel. And that's a forecast, a prophecy of Christ. And to the women he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. This is where it comes from, ladies. With painful labor, you will give birth to your children and your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the trees which I commanded you, and you must not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your brow, you will eat food until you return to the ground, since, you were, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will re- return." And Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living. And the Lord God made garments of of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work from the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden a cherubim, a giant angel, 
and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So as we get right into this context, right into this passage of scripture, we see that disobedience carries significant consequence. Disobedience cost Adam and Eve a lot. Do you ever have one of those moments where you know that you can never go back? You've made a choice and things just won't be the same anymore. This is Adam and Eve right here. They knew that the relationship they had with God, the lifestyle they had always known for their entire being was going to be changed. It was all going to be different. And what was it all? It was all disobedience. They previously had perfect trust with God and they had perfect trust with each other. Everything had been given to them. They never had to work. They didn't know what pain was. They didn't know what it meant to stub their toe or to bang their, bang their hand on something. They ruled over creation and all of a sudden creation was about to strike back. They were going to struggle on earth. They used to have full rule and, and authority over the animal kingdom. Well, the animal kingdom was going to become fearful to them. You know that noise that some ladies, I'm not saying all ladies, I'm just saying some ladies make when they see a spider. Do we know, do we know that noise, that, that high-pitched shriek that comes when, not all ladies, I'm just, I'm just putting that out, just some, some ladies make when they see a spider. That started right here in the Garden of Eden. We used to have perfect, can you imagine that? Who's afraid of spiders? Come on, just, yeah. Oh, some of the guys are owning that right now. They get that shriek. We're afraid of spiders, right? Could you imagine back in the Garden of Eden with spiders, it was okay. Everybody was good with it. Right here, there's this separation. They didn't even understand what wrong was, and all of it changed because of one choice. One choice that they actually thought they wanted. This was something that they chose to do. And that's the thing about disobedience, is that most times we're actually doing something that we think is good for us. We're not choosing the wrong thing because we know it's bad. We're choosing what we think is better. When you're driving, when you're going somewhere this afternoon, and the speed limit says 100 kilometers an hour on the 401, yeah, yeah, Meneer's like, no, it is 100 kilometers an hour. We choose to go faster because we want to get there more quickly. Not because we think, I just want to be bad. Check me out. I'm going 102. <laughs> we, want, we want to get there quickly. So we choose the wrong thing because we think it's better. This is the question we, the, the conversation we have with teenagers all the time when they say, hey, I'm, I'm into, they're getting, they're, they're interested in drugs and alcohol and things. And, we're, and they're saying they're not necessarily doing it because they want the wrong thing. They're thinking, I want to experience what this different thing is. You know, I meet with couples sometimes and there's been infidelity issues or cheating issues and they haven't done it because they want to hurt their partner. Their heart leads them astray to something else and they think they want something better. We choose to break a law. We choose disobedience because we think it's better for us. But you know what the reality is? Is that disobedience is more a choice that forfeits something than it is to gain anything. We have free will to make any choice we want, but we don't get to escape the consequence of the decision and what we may lose. When Amanda and I, my wife, that was my wife, by the way, if you've not met her, she, she was the dog handler up here, you know, <laughs> she was also the dog dresser this morning, I, I, I believe, with his red tie. 
we got together, some of you may know this, we got together when we were very young. We, we started dating when we were 14 years old. We were high school, high school sweethearts, and we used to live, oh. <laughs> she, lived, she lived in a town about 15 minutes outside of where, where I grew up, and I was just coming to the church, and we met each other in the youth group, and we started this teenage, young relationship. And the only time we really saw each other, because we were 14 years old and we lived in different towns, was when we went to church, and we had been dating, whatever that means, at 14 years old for, for, about, for about six months. And one of the youth leaders said, you know, the only time you two see each other is at church, and I think you're distracting each other. You guys, I'm not sure that this is a right relationship. And I was, just new to, I was just new to faith. I was just becoming a Christian, and this youth leader had spoken to us, and we thought, maybe it's, maybe it's time that we actually do break up, because this isn't right. We're only 14 years old. Who knows? And... So Amanda said, you know, she, now I just want to be clear. She initiated this. I think she's still downstairs, so I can get away with this. But <laughs> she initiated this, okay? So, so she initiates this 14-year-old breakup, and I'm just crushed. My heart is just torn, thrown on the ground. Just she played with my emotions, trampled, stepped on my, again, she's downstairs, so we're good here. <laughs> so anyway, I knew being, being 15 years old, 14, 15 at the time, I was supposed, if I was going to be with anyone in this kind of relationship, I was supposed to be with a Christian. I was learning these things. And you're going to a youth group. That's a small pond to fish in. So I, after, after a while, there was somebody that naturally we just kind of got together. And apparently, she was one of Amanda's friends. Apparently. Now, I didn't, I didn't really know this. Now, admittedly, it's not my finest moment. I'm, I'm going to throw that out. <laughs> not my finest moment. <laughs> but we got together for a few months and started again what a 14, 15-year-old relationship might look like. It was short-lived. I was young and dumb and just looking to feel better. But later that year, Amanda and I ended up getting back together. It all worked out in the end. Don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good question. I don't want to go there. Man, that was me. It was okay. So I admitted I was wrong, and I came back, and I called her up for math help, actually. That's the, that's, that was smooth, wasn't it? <laughs> she hung up the phone the first time I called for math. <laughs> that's truth. But we dated for the next seven years, and we got married when we were in our early 20s. And could you imagine that over those next seven years, trust was an issue for us? She had an issue trusting that I would always do the right thing for our relationship because of one mistake that I made that she initiated. Let's go back to this. <laughs> one little mistake that I made seven years previous when I was 14, 15 years old, trust was an issue. Even in our first few years of marriage, there were still questions in her mind going on internally. Can I trust this guy? Even though I'd never given legitimate cause to question her since then, my choice, my disobedience to that relationship caused big issues. And that's what sin and disobedience is. It's like a drop in a bucket of water, and it ripples out. And we see this in nature, where just one little drop can cause ripple, 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 ripple. And it affects relationships around us. It infects us and what's going on inside of us with our friends and our families. And this couple we read about in Scripture, Adam and Eve, there's this far-reaching effect that their choice had. 
Adam lived 930 years, the Bible says. He was alive for nine generations following. So he's got great, 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 great grandchildren. Could you imagine how many times he and Eve would replay that moment in their heads? Why, oh why, did we eat fruit from that tree when we had the perfect life and we had no pain and no suffering? As they watched their family worked the fields. And you know what it's like when you're shoveling and you're working and your back hurts and you're sweating and you're hot and you're in pain. And Adam and Eve would go, why did we do that? Why did we, why did we eat? We blew that. They would call their great-great-great-grandchildren around and say, listen, sin has, consequen- sin has consequences. Disobedience isn't worth it. It's not what you want. God is serious about sin. They would start to tell their kids, I bet. Romans 6.23 says it pretty clearly, for the wages of sin is death. It's the first half of that verse. And Adam would have literally watched family members die, and they would have never experienced death if it wasn't for the choice that Adam and Eve made, all consequence of their sin. And sin still leads to death today. Spiritually in our lives, we know we have to pay for the consequence of our sin. And we play the game, was my sin really all that bad? We try to figure that if I have a smaller level of sin or disobedience, then I, there should be smaller consequences. Well, it doesn't work that way, especially with God. Any sort of sin separates us completely. Think about it. What did Adam and Eve do? They ate fruit. In your house, it's probably a victory if you eat fruit sometimes, isn't it, right? When there's when there's a cake and there's an apple and you eat the apple, that's a victory, man. You, did, you just won the battle right there. But it, it wasn't because they ate something. It was because they chose to disobey and they brought, break, they brought a break into that relationship. Think about this. In your workplace, if you get caught taking office supplies home, just pens, just pencils, It's nothing. It's something you can replace for pennies. What does that do to the relationship between boss and employee when there's small theft in 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 an office setting? What about when there's a small lie in a relationship between partners? What does it do? Sin is sin. Disobedience is disobedience. It breaks the relationship. It causes consequence. And it's a hard message for our society. We don't like to think about the negative effects of our choices. The world says, follow your heart. Do what your heart tells you to do. Go and walk through that door. Don't let anything stop you. You know what the word of the Lord says? Consider the cost. Sometime your heart may lead you astray. Luckily, Scripture doesn't leave us there because that's a pretty hopeless picture we're painting here. Disobedience is not beyond the reach of God's grace. This is a story of redemption and God's patience and love for us. And listen, it all gets set up in the first few chapters of the entire book. If you've not read the Bible, spoiler alert coming on right here. He's foreshadowing what's going to happen 4,000 years later in the first three chapters of Genesis. He's going to make it all better. The fulfillment comes with Jesus. These two had clearly disobeyed. They were given one instruction and they disobeyed the only thing they had ever been told to do. And then they hear God coming and they start to get nervous. Remember we read in verses 8 and 9, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord and he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And the Lord 
called to the man and said, where are you? Their instinct was to make it less awkward between them and God. They didn't want to face him naked. You know that feeling you get when you're naked? Just go there in your own head. Just yourself. Don't picture anybody else. (laughs) Just picture yourself. That feeling you get, you're a little jittery, right? I used to have this cat when I was growing up in my my early teenage years and in through teenage I had this cat and the cat would sleep in the bedroom with me slept at the foot of my bed and I'd get up every morning and I'd go and I'd have a shower and I would come back and by the time I would have come back the cat was perched on the top of the bed staring at me and I'm about to get changed and for the first little while it did I was okay, but I was a little, I would like turn in the corner like, what are you staring at me for, cat? (laughs) I want you staring at me. And after a while, I would send this cat out of the room. And it's a cat, but I didn't want him staring at me because you get this this weird feeling when you're naked. Hope this year found out the joys of skinny dipping. I'm not going to ask for who's been skinny dipping. No hands up on on this one. But we've we've got a pool and... After soccer one night, it was like, it was dark, it was, it was 8.30, she'd been sweating, it was one of those 35 degree days, and, she, and I said, oh, you, you can't go, go get ready for bed like that, you need, to, you need to go in the pool, and she said, okay, I'll go get changed, and I said, no, you're going skinny dipping, and she got, the, she got this feeling like, really? <laughs> so she, she stripped down in the front hallway and marches through the house buck naked, and then she's up there, and she knew... I'm doing something a little wrong here. I'm I'm supposed to have clothes on and I don't. This is Adam and Eve in the garden. But think about it. Up until this point, they never realized. They'd had, who knows how many interactions they had had with God. But when they knew they had done something wrong, when they had that feeling come, they they thought, I got to fix this. And it's a natural instinct for us to fix the relationship if we've broken it with disobedience. But it doesn't work that way. If we do something wrong, we don't get to fix the relationship always. In fact, we usually don't get to fix the relationship. The other one needs to fix the relationship. When I offend you, I can say sorry and I can say, I really didn't mean to do it and and I'll do anything I can to make this better. But you get to decide when you're okay with me. Amanda got to hang up the phone and say, I don't want to help you with math. She got to decide when that relationship was going to be okay. And it's no different with God. If we broke it, he gets to decide when it's fixed. Isaiah 64, 6 says this, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We can't do anything to fix this relationship between us and God. So what does he do? We read in the story, he goes ahead and he makes clothes for Adam and Eve and he covers them up. And he shows Adam and Eve, you know what? I'm going to take care of you and it's going to be okay. And the beautiful thing is that God wasn't just coming into the garden looking to dole out consequence. Although he was, consequence came. They were kicked out of the garden. There was an angel there. All those things we listed before, they were going to have to endure. He was coming to show grace. He was coming to say, I'm going to make this right. Let me read the last half of that verse that we started in the first point. Romans 6, 23, the last half. It says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We may have been hiding 
and God's calling us back. We're sitting here in church this morning, and we're looking at this topic of disobedience and sin, and some of you may feel like there's this weight on your shoulders, like, you know, I've done the wrong thing. I totally have sinned. I've totally disobeyed. I've hurt relationships around me, and I've definitely wrecked some relationship between myself and God, and we're, we feel inadequate, and we feel messed up. And we either want to try and fix it on our own, or we hide, and we say, God, please don't look at me. And God walks over, and he says, you don't need to fix it. I got this. I'm going to make clothes, and we're going to move on, and I'm going to give you the gift of my son, Jesus. And that's the beautiful story of grace, is that what was coming was his son was going to come, and he would Although never sin, he would take on sin for us, meaning he would take on the guilt and, and all the stuff, the wrong stuff that we had done, that we've done between us and God and us and others. And he would say, I'll take the blame for that and I'll pay the penalty so that you don't have to. And this morning, as we sit in church, you need to know that if there's guilt or weight on your shoulders and you feel like you've broken a relationship, God said, my grace is enough for you. And the gift that I give to you is my son, Jesus. And right now we want to stop in the middle of the service. And if anybody's feeling that weight, we just want to pray. We want to say, God, take the weight off. Can we just have a moment of prayer? Lord, I I pray for every person that's here this morning. And you know, if you're here and you just want to release, if you're carrying a weight and you need to release it, you do what you need to do. You lift your hands to God or, or you close them or you do what you need to do to release that to God because his power is able to do that. His grace is there for you. And Lord, I pray for each person that's carrying weight, that knows they've broken a relationship because of sin and disobedience. And in the name of Jesus, I pray your grace and your gift of your son into their life, Lord. And God, I pray that none of us would walk around feeling like we have to be perfect, feeling like if we mess up, we're not good enough anymore. Because you come in and you give us your son, Jesus. And we thank you for that, Lord. And I pray that this would be a place of freedom and our lives would be marked by what's been taken away, not by what's been added on in terms of sin and guilt, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen. If you prayed that, if you believe that, you need to know that that's available to you at any time, all the time. It's the gift of Jesus to you for your life. Because all of us have sinned and all of us have gone the wrong way, done the wrong thing. In fact, just being born, we enter a world of sin. And our last point this morning is that our future hasn't been decided and disobedience doesn't preclude you from fulfilling God's purposes in your life. You need to know that there has never been an individual who has been used by God who wasn't a failure at some point in their lives. Can you watch this this morning? And just remember some of, the, some of the people that God used all throughout the history of the Bible. All right, next up, um, King David. Thanks for coming, King David. What qualifies you to be our next small group leader? <clears throat> well, what was that word you used uh, before my name? Uh, king? Yeah, king, right. How many of those am I up against? My strengths. Uh, plagues. I'm pretty good with the staff. Can't decide who gets the last brownie? Cut it in two. Boom. Wisdom. Um, Party large bodies of water. Desert survival skills. Weaknesses. <laughs> Weaknesses. Mountain climbing. Um, 
commandment retrieval. Does that look to you? And I can make a pretty mean goat sausage. Okay, I mean, maybe haircuts. Women. Whose isn't? <laughs> so I lied. I said my wife was my sister. They were going to kill me. <laughs> Why are we even getting into this? I'm just not sure we're comfortable with you in a leadership position. Look, it, it, Jesus Christ himself called you Satan. He was trying to make a point. Get thee behind me, Satan. I believe is the exact quote. Sheba. I knew you were going to go there. It was a rock to the back of the head. I really regret that it happened. And that's when you slept with the maid? My wife said she was fine with it. Abraham. What? Come on. Okay, timeline. Um, first I slept with his wife. No, 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 no. I didn't kill Christians. Then I lied to him. I was just watching people's coats. Then I had him killed, okay? They killed Christians. It's a long time ago. Besides, that was a different guy. That was Saul. I've ever killed anyone. Why? You got somebody giving you beef? Huh? You need something taken care of? Where's the app? Yo, bring it, huh? Didn't you deny Christ three times? No. Nah, I'm pretty sure you did. No. Yeah, I'm almost positive. Uh, no. Okay, I did. No, I never killed anyone. Why would you even ask that question? This is the guy. Hold on, I... I mean, I do have some questions about my qualifications. I've never been to seminary. Oh, you'll do fine. I really don't have a whole lot of experience. Do you love God? Yeah. Do you want to help people? Sure. Do you have a harem? No, I don't have a harem. <laughs> All right, we're good then. Thank you. Well, let, me, let me think about this first. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Oh, wait a second. Look who has them. Still got the tablets. Genesis chapter 1, it says, God says to Adam and Eve, go be fruitful and multiply and rule over the earth. And the act of disobedience between Adam and Eve, it doesn't change the plans that God has for their lives. And there are some of us here, we listen to these words, and you figure, you know what, my life is too far removed from obedience to ever be used by God. I've messed up. I can't be used by God. And you say, that's a cute little story that we see there out of Bible characters, but you don't know what I've really done. You don't really know who I am. And I say to you, then you don't really know who my God is. My God says, my grace covers any sin. My grace covers all sin. We see the video. These are real stories that Abraham slept with the maid and became the father of the nation of Israel. Saul facilitated murders of Christ followers, and he became the one who church planted all over Asia and was the one that wrote most of the New Testament that we read from. God used him to write scripture for the rest of us, a murderer. Maybe a gang leader, or he's a mob, he's maybe he's, we would know him as a mafia guy. Your sin and disobedience is a moment for God to display grace, much more than a moment to watch your life go off the rails. Don't give up on a calling that you have because of failure. There's a story of Adam's boys. Adam has his sons, he, he begins to become fruitful and lead the earth, and Cain and Abel leads to death and deceit, and it's the consequence of sin. The consequences are real. But his next son was Seth. And can we look at what happens when Seth starts his family? 
in Genesis 4.26. It says, And Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. And even for a man who brought sin into the world, for all of us, I'm going to invite our music teams back. Even for one who would bring sin that we would all have to deal with, God used his spiritual legacy and said, I'm going to use you and people are going to call on the name of the Lord. Even though you brought sin into the world, I'm still going to use you because God's plans don't change. And each one of us in this room this morning, myself included, I've sinned and I've fallen short of God's purposes and God's perfection and I've broken my relationship with him. But none of us has lost the calling that God has on our lives because of it. Consequences? For sure. We've dealt with consequences on earth. But nothing has ever changed the plan that God has for our lives. Love Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. We are God's handiwork. We're created in Christ Jesus to do the good works which God prepared us in advance to do. God hasn't given up on you. Why do you give up on yourself? This morning we're going to sing a song that just says God I thank you for every life in this room everyone here in this message Lord you have a plan for their life and there's no sin there's no break that can derail that and in the name of Jesus we just pray the grace of God again and the love and the forgiveness Lord and the knowledge that no matter who we are, what we've done. You have called us for great things. You crafted us together. We are your handiwork. We are your masterpiece, your verse says, that verse in Ephesians, Lord. And we know you're going to use us for great things. Lord, I pray as a church this fall, we would display love to the community, whether it's at a party in a park, whether it's at a home giving out food, Lord, whether it's at a small group or on a Wednesday night here or in a church service, regardless of where we go in our jobs and in our homes and in our community. You use us, Lord. And Holy Spirit, speak to each of our hearts that we wouldn't just stand on the sidelines because we've got sin. We wouldn't just miss out because we don't think we measure up. God, we would step into the purposes that you have for us because you call us and you empower us and you love us enough to say it's okay. My grace, my son is there for you. Thank you, Jesus, for your word and your life and your love. That's been present in our lives this morning. And we ask all this in your name. Amen. 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 You may be seated.